Welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self-care in the age of resistance. Today we're going to talk about happiness, which seems a little odd, but we are. Uh, This is going to be a two-parter, if not an ongoing conversation. First, I want to discuss some questions. Do we have a right to happiness when there's so much work we need to do, so much going on? Is it irresponsible to focus on individual happiness? And then a bit later, we can get into... Even if we give ourselves permission to be happy, then how do we even get there? I am, as usual, exhausted and horrified by our government. You guys know this. Uh, For the past 80 episodes or so, I've been talking about how to survive this administration. We've gone through how to be sad, how to be angry, how to take a look at our own role in the culture, in oppression, in the resistance, how to use the tools and philosophy of yoga to continue on. And in the last few episodes, I felt a need to focus on the positive. Our righteous indignation is warranted, absolutely. And action is warranted. It's necessary. And it's our responsibility to act. At the same time, we've been seeing articles about activist burnout. They've been popping up online for at least a year. So why then is this the time to talk about happiness? I'll say this. I need it. It feels like the world is crumbling, and yet I need to be allowed to be happy. I need to feel joy. I need that deep belly laughing and the comfort and sweetness of love and happiness. I need that to keep going. And when everything feels murky and like a a heavy weight, It's very challenging to feel that emotion, and I I miss it. I also think without the prospect of happiness, motivation is really hard to come by. Some people are motivated by anger or the need for justice, and these are worthwhile motivations. But if there's no happiness, then for me, I don't know how it all works or what it's for. Okay, so do we even have a right to pursue happiness when there's so much work we need to do. And here's where I've landed on this so far. Yes, short answer is yes, we have a right to happiness. This goes for every human on earth. It's a fundamental human right, regardless of circumstance. And we'll talk more about external circumstance a bit later. I would go as far as to say it makes the work easier and it makes the work worthwhile just look at the seven dwarves. We can be and feel more than one thing at once. In fact, it's almost impossible to feel all one thing. We as humans feel things in a woven together way. Even in our happiest moments, we may also be anxious or excited or feel something bittersweet. In our deepest moments of grief, we may also feel a sweetness of love And that all happens side by side. So to say that we can only feel one certain way and not another way to exclude a certain feeling is unrealistic, which to me is a relief. So then is it irresponsible to focus on individual happiness in our current climate? It's challenging sometimes to you put in your head like an image of happiness, it is often associated with being carefree, 
I'm walking down the street, I'm eating an ice cream cone, I don't have a care in the world. And that's our vision of happiness. And that is incredibly important, but also at the same time, that picture can feel really insensitive when families are still separated from coming across the border, when rights are being stripped away, when I don't even want to get into Russia right now, but it's really hard to be carefree in this moment. And it can feel, again, really insensitive to embark upon a carefree day. I would say if the focus on individual happiness excludes the awareness of others, excludes the inalienable rights of others, then yeah, I think it is a little irresponsible to be blind to the pain of others or to willfully ignore the needs of everyone else. But again, we're never feeling just one thing. I think it is necessary and we are allowed to have a moment of being carefree. That is the kind of thing that keeps us going. If it is all heavy all the time, it's hard to sustain. So while I think that having those moments of carefree happiness are key, I think there's a difference between pursuing personal happiness while ignoring the needs of the rest of the world versus sometimes I want an ice cream cone and just take a break and go for a walk and that's okay. If we really are ignoring the plight of the world or just giving lip service, then I do think that is irresponsible and that's something to be aware of. So especially coming from this wellness world where things are kind of whitewashed and we're told to let in good vibes only and the focus of a lot of that self-help world is very inward focused and it can, not everything of course, but it can lead to a kind of over self-involvement and navel gazing. Like if I'm so focused on working on my stuff that I can't give a care for the rest of the world, sometimes you have to do that, right? Especially in times of crisis, you're dealing with something in particular, but for most of us all the time, we have the capacity to care about ourselves and care about others. And I think there is sometimes a dangerous trend that is a little shallower where self-care gets a little me, me, me focused. So again, it's a fine line to walk. And I think self-care is incredibly important. It's in the name of the show. I believe in it. I think that it's important to be aware why you're doing self-care and for what reason. Because you need to survive and you need to live in the world. Or, you know, are you escaping the world? And then, and I think that that's a difference. And again, I encourage temporary escape as a form of self-care as well, because you can't be in it all the time. It's just, is it the overarching trend of your self-care is to numb out, bliss out, get out, just get away in such a way that your little bubble is fine and then you ignore everything else. So again, temporary respite, 100%, totally needed. Ignoring 
the world because you have the privilege to do so, not as great, right? And, and of course, it's not so simple. There's not a hard line in the sand, but that's why all of this takes some self-inquiry and some introspection. And I think we, for each of us, if we can discover or explore what the motivation for our particular kind of self-care is, it actually can alleviate some of the guilt associated with it. If I know I need to turn off the news and go for a walk and just listen to music, and that's part of my self-care, then I can let go of the guilt of missing what's going on on Twitter or missing what's going on in the news or not watching C-SPAN or not hearing the latest. There's always a did you hear the latest. And sometimes I feel bad if I haven't heard the latest because there's a lot going on and I feel like I should be up on it. But at the same time, a little bit of sanity protection. Sometimes I turn off the latest and I don't hear it. And for me, I think exploring that line and knowing what my motivation is, again, helps alleviate a little bit of the guilt of maybe not being up on every single moment of every single topic and allows us a little bit more breathing room. So how do we know if our escape is self-protective in a, in a good, important, caring way or if our escape is hurting other people? I think that's a question that I ask all the time, right? I need, if I need to take a break... Is my break for my own sanity or is my break because I'm uncomfortable? You know what I mean? That, that's a little bit of a gray area. And what is my non-participation in any given moment doing? Is it helping? Is it hurting? So some of us can choose not to think about, consider, or care about certain things. We can ignore certain things because it's uncomfortable and we want to stay in a more pristine place. For example, after Charlottesville, oh yeah, remember freaking Charlottesville where white supremacists and white nationalists marched in the streets, held a torchlit parade to protest black people, basically? It was and is a horrible day in our very recent history. And the Monday after it happened, and happened I think on a Friday night with protests and riots throughout the weekend, that Monday I went to work. It was kind of, and I hate to say this, it was kind of a normal work day. Some of us talked about it at our desks, but there was no, there was nothing from management, no larger conversation. And, you know, I don't know. I still struggle with the role of the workplace at times like these. I keep on going back to, if you guys are old enough to remember, the Challenger. So I'm switching topics a little bit, but this was a national tragedy. So I'm using that as my touch point. We, as kids, in school, they wheeled in the AV equipment, and some classes watched the launch of the Challenger, and... Uh, For those of you who remember, and and those of you who don't, of course, it went horribly wrong. Um, It exploded, and there were a bunch of fourth graders and third graders watching it. And different schools dealt with it in different ways. Different teachers dealt with it in different ways. I know I went back to my fourth grade classroom, and my teacher just said, 
I'm supposed to teach you math now. And I don't feel like that's the right thing to do. And we had a conversation about it. And I felt like that was a great way to handle it. I know other schools sent the kids home. They just were like, bye, talk to your parents about it. And maybe they did it with more emotional sensitivity. But for a third grader, you don't necessarily know the nuance of a situation like that. You just know you're out of school. So I bring that up because (laughs) so after Charlottesville, I go into work. And what did I really expect? You know, there's an there are options. The management could have brought us all together and had us talk about it. But again, it's the workplace. I don't know what kind of responsibility they really hold, but it felt to me like a national tragedy. It felt like a time we could have all come together. And again, that's a little bit in retrospect because in the moment, I talked to some friends about it and then we went on. You know, we kind of moved on with our day. We went to meetings and did stuff and there it was. It was for whatever reason for productivity or discomfort or inappropriateness, the whole incident was decidedly not a part of our collective workday. And again, I didn't really think about the consequences of that until I was talking to a friend of mine outside of work and I asked how his weekend was, he's black, and he said it was really rough. And all of a sudden in that moment, I realized how how ignorant, how privileged, what an asshole I was. Because in that moment, in that moment, I forgot. I mean, can you, looking back on it now, I can't even believe it. But how unfeeling, how disconnected, but that was the reality. And that's, you know, in case you're wondering what the definition of white privilege is, that's what it is. I had the option to not emotionally engage with that in that moment. And, you know, I have to thank him for being so honest in that moment because as much as it sticks in my mind, as much as that moment taught me, it meant something completely different to him, something of a vastly different depth. I chose to put something out of my mind because it was uncomfortable for me to think about and I didn't know what to do about it. And I worked at a place where it was publicly chosen for a myriad of reasons not to be addressed. And that is, I think, irresponsible. I think that is, when we talk about, do I have a right to pursue happiness? That's the kind of stuff I think we need to avoid. I think we cannot afford to do that anymore as individuals or as a country. Does that mean we all need to be discussing everything that happens politically in every moment of every day as a group and individually? No, I am not suggesting that. However, the fewer moments we can have as individuals where we subconsciously or consciously choose to tune out something because we can, because it doesn't necessarily impact us directly in that moment I I just think that's a really dangerous place and it's and it's part of why we as a country are so divided right and again that's incredibly simplistic I understand that I am not a political or anthropological professor I haven't you know studied all of that this is my take on that particular situation 
So when we talk about an individual pursuit of happiness, and if that is even a responsible choice, then I think it is a responsible choice as long as that kind of behavior is not the norm. Sweeping reality under the rug because it doesn't affect us on a day-to-day basis or in that particular moment. So we can choose to go into our work or our yoga class and not feel it. I think that's no good. And... I would argue actually that that is not a pursuit of happiness. That instead is denial. So if we sit in meditation and choose to shut out any negative feelings in a misguided attempt to cultivate happiness, we're doing ourselves a disservice. You don't find happiness by shutting out the world or by ignoring the truth. Remember at the beginning of the show when I was like, yeah, I feel a real need to focus on positive. I don't mean to harp on the evils of the world. I really do want to start leaning more into being just a tiny little force of good out here. That said, when we talk about the pursuit of happiness, it is important to me to include the discussion of self and others. And this has to do with yoga in case you were wondering because we are trying to live in the world. And liberation of self is connected to liberation of others. And the tools of meditation, of breathing, of asana can help us connect with the world around us, not just to escape it. I think when we talk about the pursuit of happiness as a whole, We need to include the discussion of self and others. It's another way to think about the difference between self-care and selfishness and how we actually define what happiness is. So before we get to that, I want to pause to say thank you. Of course, as always, thanks for listening to the show. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about doing one thing, just one thing to stay sane and human in the world. I, if you remember, committed to walking every day and meditating, and I've been doing it mostly. And, you know, it hasn't made me a different human, but I do think it is helping me be a person in the world. And I'm asking you, if you want to share what your thing is, your one thing, you can share it with me. And I will aggregate everybody's answers and make a little list so that way if you feel overwhelmed on any given day I can put out a list of everybody's one things and that way if your one thing isn't doing the trick for you 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 can have a little handbook of one things that work for other people here are some ways you can reach out to me of course on the site yogafortherevolution.org. That's where all our past and future episodes will be. And on the site, there's a little button at the top. It says contact. And if you click there, there's a little form and you can share with me your one thing there. You can share on social. Facebook is facebook.com slash yoga for the revolution. Instagram is yoga for the revolution. If you're out doing your one thing and you want to take a picture and tag us, you can do that. Or you can tweet me at y underscore f underscore t underscore r. So I think what's important next to think about or explore is define happiness really specifically and particularly. We all just want to be happy, but what do we really mean by that? I feel like sometimes we mistake comfort for happiness right? Laying on my couch all day is comfortable, but it's not doing much to make me happy or really anyone else. 
is happiness programmed into our genes? Some people are just happier than others. Can we do anything to make ourselves more happy? And what about all this stuff? Can you be happy even when your circumstances are not so good? So there's a lot to talk about there. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to discuss that in the future. Next time, we're going to have a two-parter. This one is to be continued, a cliffhanger, if you will. There's a woman named Poppy Jamie. She's the youngest board member of the UCLA Resnick Neuropsychiatric Hospital. Their goal is reducing the health and economic impact of depression in reducing it by half by 2050. She has a TED Talk called Addicted to Likes, if you're interested in that. She also started an app called Happy Not Perfect. It's got some brain exercises focused on getting happy or learning happiness. And I read an article featuring her in the New York Times. I'll link to that in the show notes. And she says this, which I think is interesting. Happiness is not the absence of problems, but the ability to deal with them. I think that's very good. Something to think about. If we want to pursue happiness, we need to then look at how we define it. See if we can redefine it as not the absence of problems, but having the tools and capabilities to deal with those problems. Redefine it not as something gleaming or Pollyanna-ish, self-centered or carefree, but as a viable way forward to improve our own lives and also the lives of others around us. So next time we'll talk a little bit more about getting there. Uh, Before we go, I read this just the other day. It's something about worthiness. And for me, it speaks to the question, do we deserve to be happy? I read this on the Twitter feed of Black Girl and Ohm. It's an online publication, also a podcast. You can look it up if you don't already know it, and I'll link to it in the show notes as well. This is from writer Carissa Forte. I am shattering the belief that everything good in my life is beyond my worth. I deserve good, regardless of if I earned it or not. Earning is about the work I put in to receive it. Deserving relates to the quality of who I am. Today, I deserve good. Until next time, keep breathing and live to fight another day.